Welcome to Build. Today I'm really excited because live in person I have the OG Marty Kagan. He was at Netscape, he was at eBay, and now he's a partner at Silicon Valley Product Group. I know your work mostly for all of the orange header articles that I've been reading <laughs> for my entire product career, so it's exciting to finally meet you. So welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I know there's a million questions that the team and I all had for you, but where I wanted to start was just getting right into it with this theme of empowered product teams. So how did this come to be a thing that you sort of identified and started to think about? Okay, yeah, it's a good question because, and this is kind of my focus for this year. Mm -hmm. I've decided to really focus hard on it. The reason is because for years I've been Mm -hmm. focused on what I loosely call product discovery. Lean Startup is a subset of that. Mm-hmm. The idea is how does product managers, designers, and engineers solve hard problems in ways that customers love but work for a business? Yep. That's basically what all product people try yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. But it's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And you know, the harder the problem to solve, the more clever you really need to be. And I have, over the years, learned a lot of techniques because there's a lot of situations, there's a lot of risks, there's quantitative and qualitative techniques. Anyway, I wrote a book about all these techniques, 300 pages of these different techniques, and it did well. I do work with a lot of teams, and I show them these techniques, and they get it. But too often, I find out that they're not allowed to use them. Mm-hmm. They're literally not allowed to use them. Not like they're prohibited. It's more like, mm-hmm. hey, here's your roadmap. Just build these features. Right. And and is that discussion that explicit? It's is it like sometimes literally... very explicit. Depends okay. on the culture. Okay. A lot of times it's not. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of times the leaders don't even know this is what they're doing. Really? They're not even aware of it because what they're really doing is working the way they grew up working and they thought that's how everybody works. Mm -hmm. And what I realized in those companies, because often what I do is I go in and talk to the CEO and said, look, look, why are you doing this? You know, this isn't how good companies work. Yep. A lot of times I know already most CEOs have certain companies they admire. They might really admire Netflix. They might really admire Salesforce. They might Mm -hmm. really admire Google. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not how they work, right? Right. So why are you doing this? And the answer is not always admitted, but usually yeah. <laughs> they'll fess up to what's really going on is they don't trust the teams. Okay. They really don't trust the teams. And they're like, look, you know, they'll say they're hardly talking to customers. They really don't know what they're doing. I just need them to implement these features. Right. And so I'll, I'll try to get them to understand that what they really need to do is empower their teams. And now, I will also say empowered teams has been a thing forever. Right. At good companies, that's how they work. And that's Mm -hmm. how they've worked from the beginning. It's not like it was introduced in there. This is in their DNA. I've written lately about how Apple's founding, Amazon's founding, Google's founding. They actually Mm -hmm. had the same coach, interestingly enough. Oh, right. uh, The the Trillion Dollar Coach book that just came out. Yeah. Bill Campbell. Mm -hmm. And he didn't coach me, unfortunately, I wish. I did meet him, but I worked for two people that he coached directly. So I was uh, like a beneficiary of the lessons. (laughs) In fact, I realized when I read that book how many of the things that I thought was sort of me was really him coming through. And so anyway, empowered teams have been a thing for a long time, but that's in companies that get this. Mm -hmm. And in most companies... It's not. They're set up, you know, it's often referred to as IT culture Mm -hmm. or project culture. But, you know, you have a bunch of executives and sometimes 
prospective customers dangling a big check. Mm -hmm. But one way mm -hmm. or another, they have a bunch of features that get prioritized onto a roadmap, and eventually a team is asked to build these features. Right. And that's really the antithesis of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And so those are the two models out there, and I am trying to get more companies to understand that it is not an accident that Amazon's had the success that they've had. It's just right. not random. There is a method mm -hmm. to it. So what are the, for the audience, the pieces that make up an empowered product team? I think there's like four characteristics. I don't think I've ever enumerated them mm -hmm. uh, like that, but there are a lot of defining characteristics. And I would also say prerequisites. Okay. I mean, because fundamentally, what you're trying to do is get the leadership team to give the product team squads, if you prefer, right. this idea of cross-functional mm -hmm. teams, problems to solve rather than features to build. Okay. That's kind of the defining characteristic. Give them problems to solve. Now. The other side of that, though, is that they have to staff them appropriately. Because right. in a lot of organizations, if they've been running this old way, mm -hmm. they almost certainly don't have the staff that they will need to mm -hmm. run this new way. And I say that, and I want to be careful. There's every company I've seen, there's been exceptions. There's been like awesome people that were in that, but most of them had left or never joined. Because right. if you're a real product manager, to be honest, you might get the title product manager at one of those companies, but you're not mm -hmm. doing the product job. Right. You're really a project manager with a fancy title. Right. Or a backlog administrator. You know, you're a product owner, which is an administrative role. Yep. Or if you're a really professional designer, it's like you don't want to work there mm -hmm. because you're not able to do your job. You're not able right. to apply your skills. You're just there to make it pretty, put on the company mm -hmm. color scheme and logo in the corner. Yep. And that's... When the PM has already handed you yeah. like a fully done wireframe yeah. and yeah. it's like, oh, just add the visual design. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so what competent designer really wants to work in that right. environment? And frankly, the same with engineers. I've long argued that if you just use your engineers to code, you're really only getting about half their value. Because mm -hmm. the real uh, professional engineer, the kind that we love to hire, they are as into coming up with the solution as they are into right. delivering the solution. So that's a big one. Mm -hmm. You need to staff the team with the skills yep. that are needed. And so there's a give and take. You know, we're starting to get into how do you move from that old model to yeah. new. But the big things are you have to provide the team with the capabilities. Mm -hmm. So this is what we mean by a real cross-functional product team or squad, yep. which is product design engineering typically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get the leaders to entrust the right. team to solve problems. So that's where I have a question. I think... It makes sense to me at the individual sort of team or squad level to say, oh, this is the problem that we need to solve. Go figure out how to solve it. That makes sense. But then as I've transitioned from individual contributor into product leadership, I get this question, which is, how do you communicate in outcomes in a way that makes sense to someone who's not super close, who might ask a question like, okay, but what do I get for it? Who needs to see some sort of tangible for lack of a better word, feature that they are going to get from their teams. So just to be clear, you're wondering, like, what do you tell a stakeholder? Yeah, like yeah. Because I think VP of marketing or yeah, something like that. Because to your point that we were discussing before we started, I don't think anyone wants to not work in this model. 
Right. If someone, you know, if we're... Um, well, I will tell you, lots of people don't want to work on that, especially the stakeholders. Because if you, let's pretend, okay. I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, yeah. it could be any <laughs> any role, but yep. like VP marketing mm-hmm. or merchandising in an mm-hmm. e-commerce company, mm-hmm. which is a really critical role, by Definitely. the way, or a editorial in a media company, any mm-hmm. of these sort of common stakeholders, mm-hmm. they very likely have very strong opinions about how to solve the problem. And that's right. human nature. I never fault anybody Definitely. for that. It's human nature. I do it too. We all yeah, do it. We all right? do it, yeah. But that's very disempowering to the team, mm-hmm. first of all. Mm-hmm. But even more importantly, if you look at the numbers, Harvard Business Review actually did a story on this last year, but mm-hmm. most of the time we're all wrong. Definitely. Most of yeah. the time we're wrong. Yep. Now, so it actually is to much to our advantage to give them the problem to solve rather than the specific solution that may or may not work. Right. Now, with the stakeholder, mm-hmm. if they don't know the problem to solve, you have a bigger issue. They usually do. For example, I, the VP of International may be really suffering because nobody can pay. You know, mm-hmm. they can't pay. Mm-hmm. All the payment methods in the U.S. are not accepted yep. there. And so they're like, come on, we need somehow for our customers in Europe mm-hmm. to effectively pay for our services. And it's clearly not happening. Now, they might have an idea on how to do that. They probably do. They probably saw another company that has added PayPal, and they're thinking maybe that's what did it, yep. or that's what'll help. So they might have an idea, and that's fine. But it's not very hard to get them to say, look, the problem you want to solve is international payments, right? Mm-hmm. And where are we today? Well, only 1% of our customers are buying internationally. Where do you want to be? Well, we can't even have a viable business unless we've got 5% actually able to do that, or some okay. dialogue like that. And now we know mm-hmm. the problem to solve. Now we know where the goalposts are. Mm-hmm. And now we, if we have one of these teams that we're talking mm-hmm. about, a product team that's mm-hmm. actually empowered, they're told, go solve it. Okay. Go solve it in a way that our international customers love, but mm-hmm. works for our business. You know, that means legally, that means financially, it mm-hmm. means sales and marketing can handle it. Our go-to-market is set up for that. We can afford to acquire customers, <laughs> the sales cycle, all of that. And that's what good product teams do. So it shouldn't be hard to explain. It is hard, though. This is what I'm going to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. If you have a very strong opinioned executive from international that's been there, done that at some big companies, mm-hmm. and it's really not going to be a problem if it was one of the companies that are really good, but right. if they're one of the majority, right. you're working in the old way, they're probably going to say, look, here's the roadmap. Right. So how do you help teams move away from that and into this model of focusing on the problem? Because I think even we have really strong product founders who have a really strong vision about how they want the company to go. And even for us, it's hard. We fall back into talking about features because it's easier. It is. It's normal. And there's nothing wrong about really talking about features. It's Mm -hmm. when they get etched into a roadmap that we get into trouble. Because now it's a commitment. Right. And that's where we get into trouble, mostly because we'll end up building and delivering something that doesn't actually work. And we should have been using that time to solve that problem in a way that does. Mm -hmm. How do you approach features or products that might move the market forward in a way that it's like you might not even know how to articulate the problem yet? Well, so let me just say. Do you think everything can be articulated as a specific problem? To be solved? I do, although I will admit there are some cases where you kind of have to bend over backwards. That's mostly okay. platform stuff. Okay. And we can talk about that if you want. Mm-hmm. But you know what you're getting at. So there is a very popular technique at very good companies today 
for this. They're called OKRs. You've probably mm -hmm. heard of OKRs, mm -hmm. right? And yep. most people have. It's honestly simple, objectives and key results. The interesting thing is those were created, that system was created mm -hmm. around the model I'm talking about. Right. But it's been used for over a decade at Google, at LinkedIn, at Facebook, all these companies. And so everybody's trying to do it. And Definitely. unfortunately, even though it's a simple concept, it's usually a complete mess at most companies. And I try to explain what's really going on is, mm -hmm. yes, it's an easy concept if you're already in the empowered team model. If you're not, mm -hmm. it's sort of theater. Yeah. Because what's going on is you still do roadmaps, yet you still are trying to tell people the problems to solve. The mm -hmm. combination of both, I've never seen that actually make sense. It's okay. meant to be the alternative to that. And is it hard to express things? In general, no. You have to use some common sense, though, because if you have a platform team, for example, that is fundamentally there to help the other team solve yeah. problems for customers, mm -hmm. then could you express what they do in problems? Yes, but it's really convoluted. Definitely. So okay. I usually tell people to chill a little bit and bend the rules, okay, there. But you need to keep the focus for those customer-facing teams, especially, mm -hmm. on problems to solve. Yeah, it's not hard. There's actually an old technique that's been around. It's super easy technique. It's called an opportunity assessment. It's just mm -hmm. a few questions. So when somebody gives you that feature, mm -hmm. like add whatever, Definitely. in just 10 minutes, you can reverse engineer what the problem to solve is and what the measure right. of success. It's super easy technique. So that's never been hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that's always, if it's not clear why we're adding this, it could be for lots of different reasons, then mm -hmm. the product manager, it's on the product manager to make sure the team understands really what the measure of success really is. What is the problem under there? And it's not hard. It just is a dialogue with that whoever that vice president or CEO is and say, hey, we've been thinking about this. We're ready to get working on it. Mm -hmm. But we realize this could actually be for several different purposes. So mm -hmm. we want to make sure we do it for your purpose mm -hmm. and solve the problem you've got in mind. My assumption is we're doing it because of this. Is that right? And they might say no, or they might say yes. But either way, we know what we need to solve. Right. And the tool that we've decided to try using, at least now, is we had a couple of examples where there was an idea and we just built them and built them super quick, super scrappy, but then realized that maybe it wasn't actually the best idea to have just hopped right into building the feature. So now I think it's probably similar to the opportunity assessment you're talking about. We have this idea of a concept where no code, not really any meaningful amount of design, but really just a PM taking a step back and saying, okay, if we were to do this, this is what it would look like and this is the impact it might have as a tool to evaluate and like share back the impact of those ideas. Yeah, I mean, you're describing a very primitive way of doing discovery. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first thing I'd say is that's why we have prototypes. Mm -hmm. And there are four main kinds of prototypes. But that's what they're for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other thing I'd say is it's really bad if it's just the product manager. Mm -hmm. You'll get really bad solutions. You want it to be product manager, designer, and at least one of the mm -hmm. engineers. But you're right in it's no code. Yeah. It's quick and dirty because everything changes once you can play with it. Yeah. So that's what we want to do. Yeah, and we when we actually go to build things, we do start with the job to be done, and we start with the story time, which is. But still, design. I would argue you're mixing because now we're talking building things. Yes, yes. That's delivery. For discovery, we don't want to build anything. We want to. Right. No. What I'm saying is, when we start discovery on a problem, we start with the problem, and then we get everyone in the room, product engineering design, to do that initial 
generative idea phase. Okay, but that's good. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't need to spend much time on that because you no. really want to spend your time on the prototyping. Yeah, so that's 30 minutes. Okay, good. Maybe an hour. Okay. And then we go into a phase where it's prototypes. Okay. Tracer bullets, technical tracer bullets, it's designs, it's concepts, it's research, it's iterating on those ideas before yeah. we do any kickoff. Which before be you build. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Good. Yeah. good. You're kind of framing it in waterfalls, so that's part of what makes me a little which uncomfortable part? with this, like yeah. phases and, and handoffs and mm -hmm. uh, kickoffs. But the spirit, at least at the higher order, you've mm -hmm. kind of got the right concepts yeah, there. Yeah, we've found that it's been really helpful to have words to describe where we are yeah. so that we can communicate out. Yeah, I understand, but these sort of Waterfall is a real mindset, mm -hmm. and it is a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. So I meet this all the time, companies that say they're agile, but in all meaningful senses, mm -hmm. they're not. So in that situation, like, what are you seeing? What are they saying that they think is agile, but that's actually waterfall? Well, this whole idea of these phases mm -hmm. is very waterfall concept. Now, when mm -hmm. I say that, there's really three things that, honestly, I care about. Okay. The first one is, are we actually tackling the risks up front? Mm -hmm. There's value, usability, feasibility, viability. These are the risks in all product. And we need to make sure we are tackling those before we write a line of software for delivery. And what you said did sound good for that to me. Okay. The second is, how are you actually solving that problem? Are you solving it with some product manager defining requirements and designers doing wireframes and engineers coding? Or are they literally side by side coming up with prototypes? Mm -hmm because that's critical that we yeah. have those three. And Waterfall kind of separates those. Mm -hmm. And third, and really the most important one as far as the defining characteristic is, before you go into delivery, to building things, are you consciously saying, yes, this is what we want to go build? Unfortunately, that's a defining characteristic of Waterfall because we don't succeed when we ship that feature. We succeed when we actually solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have a phase that says, all right, we've done our design or whatever, and now we're into implementation. Because in truth, we're going to be mm -hmm. iterating many times. Mm -hmm. And so the success is not launching a feature. The success is our KPI has finally achieved what we needed it to achieve. If we were trying to improve our international purchases to 5%, once we hit 5%, we've actually achieved. And that's yeah. what, when you have Agile sort of the way it's intended to be is, mm -hmm. that's what we're really doing. You've got an empowered team mm -hmm. that is trying to solve a problem. Yep. It's not just about shipping a feature. So you can kind of see how when you have these defined mm -hmm. milestones, yep. it kind of works against us. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say it's not impossible is because there's a class of product called consumer electronics, for example, devices, mm -hmm. where you kind of have to have an element of that. Right. Because you can't literally change the device. Right. <laughs> yeah, so we have to do what we're talking mm -hmm. about in discovery. And there's a lot of praying mm -hmm. with devices. You know, there's a lot of like, yeah. man, I hope we did that right. But So one of the things that I think has helped us, or at least the benefit I've seen of the moment where we decide, okay, We've done a bunch of discovery. We've evaluated a bunch of different ideas. We're going to try this first thing that we think is the best opportunity we have to solve the problem. We just agree as a team what that's actually going to look like, the first thing that we're going to ship mm -hmm. to like move towards solving the problem. And I think having a moment, and it's 10 minutes, where we all just look at each other and say, oh, yeah, we're going to try this one. This is when we're going to ship to customers, has helped set 
better expectations between the team and better timelines so we can communicate with each other. Yeah, I would, if I was coaching that particular yeah, yeah, yeah. team, Please. I would encourage them, let's do that in discovery. Let's mm-hmm. get the evidence from our customers in discovery. Mm-hmm. Now, they might not know the techniques. They might say, how do we do that? And So oh, do you, are you including, let's say, a beta group as part of the discovery? Beta is normally a delivery technique. It's okay. more like QA. Mm-hmm. But it is in the looser sense of, mm-hmm. am I talking about a select group of customers that have opted in to try out new stuff with us? Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. You can call it very limited distribution. There's actually a lot of techniques, and yeah. it depends if we want to do qualitative or quantitative. Mm-hmm. But the point is, we would do this and gather this evidence in discovery before mm-hmm. we might not even decide to build anything Definitely. as a result of that. Because mm-hmm. your assumption behind what you said, mm-hmm. I would argue, is the only way to do this is have our engineers build it and then we'll ship it and see how it works. Even if we just ship it to beta or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, first of all, I'd say it's not a correct assumption, but it's really expensive to mm-hmm. do that. That's a very expensive and slow way to test. Okay. So is it wrong to think that there is a point at which you've built several prototypes, you have done a bunch of customer research, you've t- in talking to customers, showing them designs, showing them the prototypes, that there is a point at which it's better just to go for it? Absolutely. I mean, there's always judgment call on this. And I mentioned there's always, I mean, this is my taxonomy that I use. You just need some risk taxonomy. So you think about Mm -hmm. all the risks, but I Mm -hmm. talk about value, which is would the customer buy it? Usability, could they figure out how to use it? Feasibility, do we know how to do it and build it? And viability is, can it work for the different parts of our business? Mm -hmm. And if it's super expensive and risky, mm-hmm. you're going to do a lot of validation. Yeah. If it's not, you're going to say, you know what? Right. We're going to just go for it. Okay. And I tell teams, you have to make that call. If you don't make that call, you won't have time to actually spend the time on the real risky things. Mm-hmm. So you have to use your judgment. It's typically when the product manager, the designer, and the tech lead discuss it, and they're like, are we okay with this? Mm-hmm. Let's just go. Okay. Or the engineer might say, you know, this is going to be really expensive. We need to see if this is going to work before we spend the time to do it. Mm -hmm. So here's what I propose as a way to solve it. Okay. So I want to go back just a little bit to the like real difference between discovery and delivery, because I would imagine that there are teams that get them a little bit confused. Definitely. And I would argue that's what was kind of going on before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not meant to be rocket science or anything. Delivery is where we build products our customers can run for real. That's for real. So that's stuff that you can ship without apologizing. You know, sales and marketing, Mm -hmm. when I say apologize, it's not like, oh, this is an MVP, this Mm -hmm. is whatever. This Mm -hmm. is no caveats. You can sell it, stand behind it. Okay. And that's what we mean by product. Definitely. A real product. Okay. Discovery is all about figuring out what we should build. So that's why I try to tell people discovery is all about prototypes. If you build a product in discovery, which, by the way, is what most people do when they Mm -hmm. misunderstand what an MVP is, they spend four months building a half-baked product and they call it an MVP. That is like the opposite. So that's just confused. We have much better techniques. Shouldn't be four months. Should be more like four days. And for a lot of the techniques, we have more like four hours. Yep. But discovery, we use prototypes. The purpose of discovery is to tackle those four risks. And once the product manager and designer and tech lead feel like we have some reasonable evidence that it makes sense to actually use our engineers to build production quality, scalable version of this, mm-hmm. we go do it. Sometimes we're still wrong. I consider that a very acceptable failure, you know, because yep. if you optimize just to get all the risks perfect, you'll go 
you know, it'll take forever. Take forever. Yeah. So you have to use your judgment there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, last question, sort of. You just said when they feel like they've hit the end and it's already. Have you seen teams quantify that? Or is it really like you're feeling? It's a feeling between those three stakeholders. The PM, the designer, and the tech lead. Yeah, stakeholders kind of. We, yeah, sorry. Outside of the, the team. three yes. people. Yeah. Usually it is their judgment that you're there. But mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of examples where we do feel like we need to quantify mm-hmm. it. But it, now we're talking about, just to be clear, we're talking about the scenario where it's really risky. Okay. And when I say really risky, meaning it's going to be expensive to build yep. or it's going to be really expensive to deploy mm-hmm. or any of these things that up the consequence yeah. of screwing up. Definitely. Hardware, by the way, is by definition risky. Yeah, I think so. working in SaaS, it's sort of, there's not a lot of things that are very, very risky for us to do. Yeah, so we, I mean, the we are a little bit more comfortable with just sort of going, going for, for, it. for it. Yeah, I would argue the big consequence in SaaS is opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you spend three weeks, building something and then launching something and it doesn't actually do what you need. The biggest cost there is what you should have been doing with those three weeks. Mm -hmm. It is also true that a lot of people do in the B2B SaaS world, as you know, there's a lot of terrible solutions out there. Yeah. Just terrible. That's what creates opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But there are really terrible solutions. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty expensive consequence of not doing their job, I would argue, well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Yes, sometimes we do have a very explicit bar and we'll say, look, this is really risky or expensive, mm-hmm. which is a form of risk, right? Yeah. And so we are going to set the bar here high on evidence, which may mean, in fact, proof. Sometimes mm-hmm. the bar for evidence is proof. We want uh, to be convinced that it is absolutely going to work. Mm-hmm. The gold standard for proof is usually an A-B test with a live data prototype. It's kind of our, that will give us the best evidence mm-hmm. that what we build will actually work as we hope. But that's more expensive than some of the other techniques. So that's why we consider all these alternatives. Yep. I'm trying to think if there's any other question I can ask that I can thinly veil my own work <laughs> to get your feedback on. Well, you I'll no, just go for say, it. Yeah. you mentioned my big focus for like the last several months is what well, I think you just described yourself as, which is somebody who moved from an individual contributor mm-hmm. product manager maybe to a leader of product. Yep. That's I've decided that's the most important place for me to focus my okay. time. Great. Because and we can talk about that if you want, but <laughs> because basically the whole model of empowered teams the teams are only as good as their product manager. I want to be clear, I've never met a good team that didn't have competent people in product design and engineering. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need all of it. But it's also true, I believe, that if the product manager is not strong, you're going to fail. Yep. And so who do we hold accountable for strong product managers? The product leaders. Yes. Yep. You. Yeah. Director product management, VP mm-hmm. product management. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of typical titles. And... Most of them, in my experience, are not actually doing what they need to do. Okay. What do we need to do? Yes. Because <laughs> that's the right the way. The right in question. <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and really, so the first and foremost, and I really should end it here. I won't yeah. after this because there are other things. But first and foremost is to coach your product managers. Okay. So many product leaders I meet, that is like fourth or fifth on their list. Mm-hmm. And What's above that? 
for them. Well, usually they're mapping <laughs> one form or another, micromanaging their people, mm-hmm. or you know, handling the CEO or the executives, or doing vision and strategy. And so I'm going to get to there is other things, but. The point is, number one needs to be developing, and I try to say it more specifically, the director of product management's number one responsibility is to get each of her product managers to competence. Okay. Normally, that takes no more than three months for each person that reports to you. And that's with active work, you know, getting mm-hmm. somebody, a new product manager, whether even if they're experienced from another company, but on your products, your markets, your technology, mm-hmm. getting them up to speed, your business, normally takes two to three months. If it takes more than that, the product leader really needs to decide if that person's going to be able to do the job. Yep. And a lot of them, you know, they're conflict avoiders and they are not really tackling that. But that's their first responsibility. So that's why I've been writing a lot about coaching tools yeah. and here's how you assess the person and here's how you help them and all their gaps. Because mm-hmm. my experience is if the manager knows what they're doing, if they've been there, done that, you know, they've seen good, they know yep. what it is. Yep. If they put a real effort in, most of the time they can get their people to where they need to. Mm-hmm. Assuming they did a reasonable job hiring, they're reasonably smart and mm-hmm. dedicated and committed. You know, if you're looking for the right things, you can get them there. Okay. Not always. I've not always been able to do it. I mean, there's some people that are just, once they really get the product job, they really don't want to do it. So that's fine. You can find them a different job. But the first responsibility is to get them to competence. Okay. And I also want to be clear because there is nothing wrong. I love doing university hires. But... I don't care what university. We're in Boston here. We've got Harvard. We've mm-hmm. got MIT. It doesn't get any better than that. None of them know how to do tech product out of school. No. But those are often great new employees. But there, you're not hiring for competence. You're hiring for potential. Mm-hmm. But in that case, the product leader needs to commit to not just mm-hmm. once a week coaching. We are oh, talking yeah. about once a day coaching. Mm-hmm. And I love doing that. But if the manager is not willing to put the time in to do that, don't hire college hires sure, because they're not going to get the attention they need. Mm -hmm. So that's the first responsibility. Beyond that, Mm -hmm. really, this is where product strategy becomes real. Mm -hmm. I mentioned what a mess OKRs are at so many companies. The number one reason for that is the product leaders are not doing their job. They think that the teams are supposed to like come up with their own objectives and somehow it's all going to make sense at the end of the year, Mm -hmm. which of course is nonsense if you state it like that. But that's what they're doing. Okay. And they're not taking an active enough role. So I don't want Mm -hmm. those directors to micromanage. Right. The only case micromanagement is okay is if you are trying to take somebody right out of college and show them really how to do their job. You've got to provide more oversight. But our goal is to get them to competence so that we can give them problems to solve Mm -hmm. and not hold their hands. But your- So the product leaders are supposed to be coming out with the problems? They are, well, it's even a little more complicated than that. Cause so at the CEO level, there's, and it typically comes out of the board of directors meetings, right? They meet four, five, six times a year. And usually once a year, they come up with the annual objectives for the the company. Mm-hmm. And those are almost always business objectives, to be clear. It's yeah. rare that they come out with a roadmap, but there's some dysfunctional companies they do. But most of the time, they come up with real business objectives. Sure. Like, we have got to go international this year. We, mm-hmm. you know, we're saturating the U.S. or mm-hmm. whatever. Yep. Or our churn rate is too high. That's going to be our focus. Or we need a new product line because we're not diversified. All these. These are normal board discussions and good ones. Yep. Then it kind of like 
What really happens in most companies is then a bunch of executives do roadmaps that they think will hopefully fix these things. Mm -hmm. But what we do if you're really doing the, an empowered team model, and that's why OKRs are designed this way, is that, okay, there's a set of objectives for the company. Mm -hmm. But now the product leaders need to translate that mm -hmm. into objectives for each product team. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've got five product teams, it's actually not that hard. If you've yeah. got 25 product teams, it's a lot harder. So we want to figure out the relevant, because all the product teams are working on different things. Some mm -hmm. are working on one kind of customer, some on another, some are infrastructure. They're all working on different things. Mm -hmm. And so the leaders have to decide which teams should be assigned which problems. Now, we don't want to give the teams the results because that is disempowering, right? Mm -hmm. That is setting them up. So in that, what you're saying is, okay, so we get the business objectives, and then the product leaders translate those business objectives into problems to be solved. Yeah, okay. well, which is what an objective is. Right. I, just, yeah. well, I feel like... People say OKRs, and I've had enough conversations about it that I think it sounds like people don't always understand well, what's the true. objective. Now, a lot of OKRs, is. when I see them, and the place you see this is not in the objective, it's in the key result. Yeah. So what the key result is, is launch this feature. Right. It's like, that is not a key result. No. That's an output. So, and the point of this is to get them to yeah. do I have a vivid memory solved. of a, an OKR slide that had an objective, and then each key result was a feature. Yeah, this is just the normal sort of bastardization yeah. of OKRs and roadmaps. They've just right. kind of been and mashed then it was up together. Hit 80% of this, but really it better be all green. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's what I meant by OKR theater. Yes. There's really no yes. OKR in any meaningful sense in that model you just described. No. But now we're talking about how okay. would you do it the way in the spirit it was intended, mm -hmm. you know, by Andy Grove at Intel and this sort of so the leaders, and honestly, with your counterparts in engineering, mm -hmm. you kind of have to do this together. Mm -hmm. But you say, all right, let's give this objective to this team, these objectives to this team. Mm -hmm. And, of course, their job then, this is what it means to be an empowered team, an mm -hmm. autonomous team. It doesn't mean they get to go work on a different kind of business. It means they get to go figure out the best way to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And then they propose the key results. And mm -hmm. that's a whole other discussion about yep. how aggressive or ambitious you want them to be. But that's... Sure. And there's a lot of give and take there, too. Another team might say, hey, we've got some great ideas to solve that problem. Give it to us. We love that. That's mm -hmm. a motivated team, right? Definitely. We love that. So yeah. we're not discouraging them from suggesting objectives. Mm -hmm. But we do need to make sure, and this is where the leaders need to play a real active role, we need to make sure that at the end of the quarter, and then even more at the end of the year, we've delivered on as many of the company objectives as we can. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen on its own. That doesn't happen when the teams are just allowed to go do their own thing. Mm -hmm. So, and what happens then? You've got a vacuum and the stakeholders step in, mm -hmm. fill the gap with mm -hmm. roadmaps, back to roadmaps. Okay. That's really the second big thing that the uh, product leaders need to do is they need to get very involved. Mm -hmm. Some people refer to this, and I like this too, as holistic view of product. You need to look overall. A lot of times the heads of product and the heads of design are the first ones to really see issues coming mm -hmm. because they yeah. can connect the dots, right? Between yeah, because you're sort of right in between the teams who are on the front line and you're getting enough of the context from the C-suite or the VPs or whoever's above that you're sitting right in the middle and you can see, you, you can, can see. feel the pain on both sides and you're probably best positioned to translate right. Absolutely. That and the other thing you need to realize is in the empowered team model squads, mm -hmm. which to me, it's all about optimizing for them. Yep. And we could talk all day about how we do that. But yep. it's also true that the more you have of them, the less you can expect them to see the whole picture. Mm 
mm-hmm. because they're Definitely. hugely busy solving the problems they're supposed to solve, which makes it even more important mm-hmm. for the leaders to connect the dots to say, mm-hmm. hey, I know you don't know this. There's no reason you would. But mm-hmm. there's another team over on the platform side mm-hmm. that's actually working on something very related to this. You need to go talk to them. Mm-hmm. Now, that eventually somebody would have figured this out like six months too late. Right. But that is the job of the leaders is mm-hmm. to connect the dots this way. Yeah, one of the things that I found to be really helpful is at the director VP level across all of the teams, making sure we have a forum for constantly talking about what we're doing. And yeah. even just setting up a space for us to have a conversation between design, products, and engineering at that level is yeah. hugely valuable because we're sharing what we're learning, what the problems that we're encountering, and then inevitably every single time there's someone says, oh, well, we have this thing that's going on and it's going to solve that problem. Or like this team can take that on because, you know, they're encountering this thing. So. I personally like it when the leaders of those three areas actually sit together. Oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, I make a big deal that, again, it's all optimizing for the product mm-hmm. team. They should, if possible, sit together. It oh, is. yeah. But a lot of times the leaders of the areas mm-hmm. don't sit together. And oh, so they're in their sort they're of in scattered? They're in wherever. Huh. And there's such a synergy that happens yeah. when those people sit together. Mm-hmm. It just makes it a lot easier to... Yeah, it's good feedback communicate and so many of the issues are serendipitous kinds of issues. Yeah. They're just random. Yeah. Okay, so we're out of time. But I have to ask you, are you reading or listening to anything that you think we should all be reading or listening to to get better as product people? Anything you're recommending? Well I'm always there's so much. I, I just finished a wonderful book mm-hmm. and I recommended it to all product people. Okay. That's the one called Trillion Dollar Trillion Coach. Trillion Dollar Coach. Yep. Yeah. Eric Schmidt and Jonathan Rosenberg from Google former CEO and former head of product. Mm-hmm. They had written the book, How Google Works, if you remember, which mm-hmm. was a good book. But they were also coached by Bill Campbell. And so Bill Campbell died a few years ago. Yep. And they had the idea to go talk to lots of other people that were coached by him mm-hmm. and put together really a book of his lessons. Mm-hmm. It's not like a academic business book in any sense. It doesn't even pretend to be. It's really just like this guy's life principles and lessons. And I thought it was probably one of the best books out there now in really business in general, but especially for product people. Okay. And then one piece of advice that you would give to PMs and product leads who are listening or watching? Well, the thing that constantly drives me nuts is Mm -hmm. so many product people product managers, Mm -hmm. whether they're titled product owner or product manager, Mm -hmm. they think the job is what's taught in a certified Scrum product owner course. They think the product owner role is the product manager job. It is a responsibility of the product manager, no question, Mm -hmm. but it's like 5% of their responsibilities. Okay. And so to me, this is kind of the biggest obvious problem. And I hate to say it, but I actually think the average skill level of product managers has dropped over the last several years. And I think the biggest reason for this, not because people are dumber or whatever, it's because too many of them think that's the job. Mm-hmm. And I realize I give mixed messages too, because I'm like, you should absolutely take a CSPO class. It's easy. You'll learn the rituals that are part of the process you're mm-hmm. using, whether it's Scrum or Kanban. Mm-hmm. But you'll also learn your responsibilities as a product owner. But that is not the job of a product manager. That's just Mm -hmm. one of many responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So it is really important. And I'll tell you why I make such a big deal is 
I'm on the other side trying to convince CEOs to give their product people a chance. Mm -hmm. And how can I do that if they've got these incompetent product people? So your <laughs> so the advice is learn your job, do your homework. <laughs> do your yes. homework. Yeah. I've written a lot about look, this is I know, your job. I'm, I read your articles <laughs> all the time when I have a question. But I'm trying to, yeah. you know, I'm trying to be really clear about it. And I fully admit it's a hard job and a lot of people don't want to do it. But if you do want to do it, mm -hmm. you know, I think you need to do it well. Awesome. Well, thanks, Marty, for coming in, and I appreciate you taking the time to school me on all things that I'm doing probably a little <laughs> bit wrong. Um, Thank you for being yeah. my guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. So everyone who's listening or watching, please leave Marty a review. Six stars, obviously. I haven't gotten very many recently, so I really appreciate some. And let me know if you have any feedback at maggie at drift.com. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>